Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Thank you, Plant family. We love you and appreciate you all. And I will say this. Last January, I spent two days in my basement. I locked myself in the room, not because I was in trouble by Sue, but I really felt like I needed a word from the Lord. And it was very, very encouraging because after those two days, I really felt like God gave us new vision for what he was doing in our church. And not only that, but I really could say for the first time, I re-fell in love with being a pastor. I love being a pastor. God created me to shepherd. And it's one of those things that being your pastor, and I know I don't do it perfectly, but I strive to let you know that, that you are loved, that you are valued, and that you are part of our church family. And so I just want to let you know that thank you for the appreciation. And at the same time, I want to let you know that it is a privilege. It's an honor to be your pastor. And I'm praying that I will be able to be your pastor for many more years to come. And then there'll be a day that I won't be your pastor. But the prayer is many more years to come. Amen? Amen. I'm praying for 10 more. Let's just say that. 10 more. Then we'll see what God has to do after that. So, but here's what we're going to do this morning. My iPad is being funny. Technology. Oh, technology. Um, this morning, we are continuing in our sermon series on our DNA as a church and as a denomination. And I would even say as an individual. Because when I came to Jesus, I wanted to go on an adventure. How many of us love adventures? Anyone love adventures here, right? How many of you, like, are terrified by adventures? How many of you want to RV across the country? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone want to go jump out of a plane today? Anyone? Anyone want to go cliff diving tonight? Anyone? Anyone want to wrestle, like, cobra snakes? No one raised their hands, right? John does. You definitely do, right? But some of us are like born for adventure. Do I get an amen if you're an adventure seeker, right? Like, I know that whether I was an adventure seeker or not, when you're one of seven boys, you had to be an adventure seeker. I remember being a little boy, and we would go to like bridges, like no joke, I'm not exaggerating, and my brothers used to make me jump off the bridges into rivers. I remember we would be like, I'd be like seven years old learning to ski, and my older brothers, because I'm one of seven, be like, you're going down like the, the double, triple, quadruple black diamond, whether you like it or not, or we will beat you up. Like, everything was threatened by risk. And so for me, it, it actually became part of, of, of who I am, that I actually do get scared of things, but at the same time, there's this idea of missing out. And I don't mean FOMO, like a fear of missing out with, with others and, and having to be known by others, but the fear of like, what's going to happen? And what we're going to do today is we are going to look at, because this is the DNA of the gospel. This is the DNA of God. This is the DNA of our church, faith-filled risk. That's in order to achieve God purposes, God's purposes means that we're willing to take faith-filled risks. Not as individuals, yes at times, but are we willing to take faith 
filled risks together. And I'm going to shift a little bit about my sermon right now. Too often we've made the gospel too individualistic. Amen? It's all about me. That's not true. It's all about us. It's all about us and what God is doing in us individually and how he's moving us corporately to step out into the things of God. You see, here's where the church has lost it. As individuals, we love risk. We love driving fast. We love climbing mountains. We love doing all these adventurous things. But we've lost the excitement of taking God, faith, filled risks for eternal purposes. And plant family, it's time that that ceases. Amen? Amen. It's time now more than ever that we learn that God is inviting us to take faith-filled opportunities to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for all you grown-ups in this room right now, God has specifically called you into the moment that you are in right now to partner with what he is up to both here, both there, and everywhere. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for this day. And God, I ask you for a good word, a refreshing word. And Lord, I know that that I'm easily excited, but I ask you that this would be foundational for who we are. Holy Spirit, use your narrative of Scripture. God, I I believe that we, we use Scripture wrong. I believe we use Scripture to prove points more than we use Scripture to invite us into your story, your history for what's next. And so, God, I'm not trying to prove a point this morning, but rather I want to invite our church family into what you are doing next. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So look at Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 and verse 6. Now, oftentimes when we read these verses, we only get caught up in the first verse or two. And we actually lose the context of what is actually being said by the author of Hebrews. The funny thing about Hebrews is we have no idea who wrote it. No idea. The unspoken author is the author of Hebrews. It says here, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earn a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists. And that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now what I love about this definition is that when the author of Hebrews talks about faith... He gives the biggest picture of how we can have faith. And he talks about having faith, not in the little things, but in the faith of actually believing that there's a God in the 
universe, of the universe, for the universe that created the universe. Isn't that pretty amazing? Like oftentimes when we talk about faith, we talk about little things and things we're called into actions or, or things that we have to do. When actually the author of Hebrews just says, here's what faith is. It is the confidence that what we step into and what we see, God is up to. I mean, think about it. Every day that you walk outside and you look at the trees and you look at the mountains and you believe that there is a God who created all things, your faith is an action. Amen? And I think that that's so de deliberate because what we do with faith is we minimize it. We shrink in faith to the little activities that we do. But actually, every single day, we take a breath. We are living by faith. And so when we live by faith, we are declaring with a confidence that what we are stepping into and what we are trusting will actually take place. How we believe, how we think, how we react, how we respond. And so, I love what the author says. Without faith, it's impossible to, believe, to, to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's also impossible to believe in God's ability to accomplish what God has asked you to do and who God has created you to be. Without faith. So, how many of, how many of you have made life changes this year? Anyone? Anyone have a life change? A couple people? Anyone really step out in faith with maybe a career change? Right? Anyone in this room set out and start a new business? Or does anyone in this room own a new business? Right? Anyone? You can raise your hands. Right? I know some of you do. You're just kind of like tired this morning. Okay? Okay. Don't let exhaustion set the tempo of the day. Right? But think about that. Faith is what allows you to trust God to show up. But here's the difference. We talk about faith-filled risk. Faith-filled risk. Now, faith and risk are actually two words that contradict themselves. Here's why. Because faith is stepping out and believing that God is actually going to show up. Risk is stepping into something that is very dangerous and hoping nothing bad happens. Do I get an amen? Amen. When my brothers forced me to jump off the bridge, I had no idea what was going to happen and was hoping that the water was deep enough. But when God invites me or invites you into doing something that he's put on your heart and has inspired you to be a part of and you know that it's not you because it's something that haunts you and pushes you and pulls you and you cannot shake it, you believe that no matter what happens, hell or high water, God will show up. Amen? Amen. And the reason we call it faith 
filled risk is because all faith has a component of risk with it, right? All faith has a component of risk with it. So I'm looking around the room and I, and I see some guys that I love and, and I enjoy and, and they've started businesses and they've stepped out in faith and, and, and you know, people that are taking new jobs and new things. And like you're stepping out in faith of hoping that things will come to fruition. Amen? Hoping things will come to fruition. And so there is that sense of risk. And the risk is this. We don't know the outcome. But predictable faith is not faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? Predictable faith is not faith. That's not faith. If you step into anything that is predictable and you know the outcome, that is not identified as faith. There's only one form of faith that we know that has a prediction and will come to fruition, and that's Jesus' work on the cross that was culminated in the resurrection of his body. And when we step out in faith, we know this. We have eternal life. That's the only predictable faith we have. But every type of faith that we step out and we can say, well, we know what's going to happen, that's not really faith. Think about Moses. Think about all the different people in Scripture. And I have a a better idea. Let's look at an example in Scripture where one person was put in a faith-filled situation that was unpredictable to everybody but him. So, let's read it. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 17. Soon, the Israelite and Philistines' forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Now, let me give you a little background. We all know the story of David and Goliath. Whether you are churched, whether you are unchurched, no matter whatever religion you come from or have been a part of, we all know the story of David and Goliath. Amen? Right? David was what? Short. Goliath was what? Tall. David was probably at his greatest height was 5'7". Now, why do I say probably at his greatest height? Because at my greatest height, I was 6'5", and right now I'm 6'3 and a half. Yes, I've shrunk an inch and a half. So at David's greatest height, he was probably 5'7", and they say Goliath was probably over 6'9". David was a shepherd boy. David came from a large family, and one day he was anointed that one day he was going to be king of Israel, but David had no idea when, David had no idea how, and David was out taking care of the sheep. But he went because he heard that there was a war, and there was a battle, 
And David went out to check on his brothers. And while he checked on his brothers, he showed up to this place of great fear and trembling. You see, there was a battle that was about to take place that the Philistines had, ch had challenged the Israelites man-to-man, one-on-one combat. It was like the ultimate form of UFC with swords. And so in this, they were saying instead of army versus army, let's settle this once and for all. Because the Philistines knew that they had a guy that was 6'9", that was stronger than any warrior on the face of the earth. David would, uh, Goliath would just destroy multiple men at a time. And so they took their best soldier, and they said, send out our, your best soldier. Now remember, this is 1 Samuel 17. This is the people of God. They've seen God do crazy miracles. They've seen God do crazy battles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There were many other books before we even get to 1 Samuel and they watched God and they knew how God always provided no matter how many armies they were up against. But fear made them paralyzed. They forgot God's faithfulness. They forgot that every single battle that someone had challenged them into, they would win. People of God, do you recognize this? That whenever you're in a place of conflict, God is not setting you up to fail. Amen? God is never setting you up to fail. He is setting you up so that your character is being sharpened and that you learn to live in a place of humility, that you make yourself less so he can become more and he can get the victory through you. Amen. That's all he does. God never sets you up to fail. He sets you up so that you can live in a place where your character is being sharpened and you allow yourself to live in a place of humility so you allow God to win in your life and in your circumstances. And so, David walks out and he sees the problem from the right perspective. David walks out and he sees the problem from the right perspective. And every time that there's a conflict, and I've had to learn this after 31 years of walking with Jesus, is that what is my perspective that I am stepping into whenever I'm deal, dealing with a conflict that's right in front of me? And David had the right perspective. Faith allows us to see everything through the right lens of perspective. Faith, that's what it allows us to do. Faith allows for God to give us eyes to see him in every situation. Stop right there. Do you see God in every situation? Do you? Do I get an amen from anyone? Amen. Uh, maybe not, right? <laughs> Think about that. But do we? 
Do we actually look at what's going on in our world today or in our lives or in our circumstances that God is in every situation? Whereas fear blinds us from seeing from the God-sized opportunities. You think I'm worried about what's going on in the world today? No. I'm not freaking out. I'm actually more afraid of the church not stepping up. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that we as followers of Christ are missing the opportunity that's right in front of us. And so David had a faith-based perspective. He had a faith-based perspective. The question is, how did he respond? How do you respond? How do you respond in crisis? How do you respond in conflict? And I will say this, this is a journey. I was a person who was very reactionary, who's learned to be a person who is responding. Even as a pastor. It's about six years ago where God really dealt with my soul that I had to stop reacting as a leader in circumstances. And I had to take a deep breath back, deep breath and step back and allow God to show up in the moment. During COVID, I'll never forget, we were in a board meeting and everybody had their own ideas. Joe, you remember this meeting? Shane, you remember this meeting? Everyone's trying to figure out like, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? And all of a sudden, all the subjective decisions started happening. Everyone's saying, well, this is how I feel. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what we should do. This is what we shouldn't do. This is, and I said, time out. That's not leadership. Leadership is not subjective decision-making. Leadership is objective decision-making. So we create opportunities for God to do his work in our congregation. I'm like, whoa, that came out of my mouth? And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, we have the opportunity. So let's continue in the passage. Don't worry about the Philistines in 1 Samuel, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. You're 5'7", he's 6'9". No, that's not in the Bible. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from his mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw. I mean, that's a pretty wild picture. Like, EJ, how cool is that? Like, doesn't the Bible excite you? Like, when you see a ravited coyote coming at you, you just want to grab it by its jaw, right? Sue's like, don't you do that. Don't you do that, right? Catch it by the jaw and club it to death. I've done this to both lions and bears, and I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Here's what David did. He owned the problem, and God puts the burden on you. David owned the problem. You see, there are things in our life that we are all going through right now, and God is putting the burden on you. 
And David said, I am not afraid of one man because God has been preparing me all my life for this moment. I've taken out bears. I've taken out lions. And that's not singular. He's giving a little bit of examples. I was thinking about this. You know how many times robbers probably came and tried to steal the sheep and the lambs and he had to fight them away? You know how many times that David was put in uncomfortable, dangerous situations? You see, what happens is, is that God puts burdens on us that we are supposed to see come to fruition and be present so God can do his, bo- his best work through us. Amen. It's time, plant family. When there's a burden on your heart, that's your deal. I love when people have a burden on their heart and they send me an email. I'm like, that's not mine. I'm responsible to challenge you, but you're responsible for the burden that God has put on you. Well, that's some pastor. You're right, because that's my job, what it says in Ephesians, to equip you, to own the burdens that God puts on you. Seriously. And David gives his little resume. If the bear, I mean, honestly, I'm more afraid of a bear than any human being. Imagine that. Imagine walking around Ramapo Reservation and a bear chases you. That would be a little scary. It happens every weekend, right? Think about it. I mean, that's scary. And he's like, I've dealt with all of these things. And he owns the problem. Israel's problem was his problem. And what's going on in the world is not everybody else's problem. It's your problem to be gospel present so you can step in and be gospel ready so people can experience the good news of Jesus Christ. We were not created just for fun risk-taking. Those risk-takings are examples that God is saying, I have something bigger and something better for you. You want to see what real fun is? Be part of kingdom work. Be part of kingdom work. I love last week, Mission Sunday, hearing our missionaries who are going overseas. Everyone's like, you guys are crazy. You're sending a baby overseas? Yeah, that's our grandchild. We raised our children so that when God calls, they say yes. And I trust them in in another foreign country in God's will than being here in crazy Bergen County out of God's will. Do you? Do you trust your life in God's will more than trying to control things your own way? That can preach right there. That's done. Right? See, we need to be part of the solution. Look what it says. Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like. For he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into his shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. Want to note something so interesting about Saul and David? 
Saul was over six feet tall. Probably was about 6'3". The reason they chose Saul is because he looked like a king. He was big. He was tall. He was handsome. He had, he had a charismatic personality. And yet he was on the sideline. You see, God set Saul up to win. Do I get an amen? amen. And because Saul wasn't willing to step into fight, God said, you know what? I'll take the little guy. I'll pick the little guy. I'll pick the little guy. I love watching the NFL. I love watching these little receivers getting clobbered by these big guys. I'm like, how did that dude make the NFL? Because there was something in him that believed more than the big guy. Something in him that said, I'm going to win no matter what. I'm going further than what everybody told me. Matter of fact, it says that Saul's armor was so big that when David put it on, that he could actually stand in it and do a 360. He's like, how am I going to fight in this? You're setting me up to fail. I'm going to trip over it. I can't wear this, right? It's just the truth. And so what does he do? He solves the problem. He says, let me use what God has taught me to use. Let me grab my sling. Let me grab some stones. Let me have my staff, and let's go to war. And he does everything that God has already set him up to do. His whole life was preparation for this battle. And the battle of Goliath was a setup for what was next. And that next battle was a setup for what was next. And we have to believe, please give me, give me an amen for this, that every battle we step into and we allow God to win is setting us up for the next battle for God to win again. Amen. Do I get an amen? amen. And we just think like, like we're just here for this one battle. And we retire. Dude. You're not retiring from God. There's no retiring from the kingdom. Do you realize that? If you think you retire, you miss it. You may be able to retire from your work, but we never retire from the things of God. I'd rather burn out than fade away. Who said that? The great prophet Neil Young. So, David does what David does. He grabbed the stones, he went out, and he fought Goliath because he knew that the greatest risk that he was taking was not stepping into it. The only risk we actually ever take is not being part of the solution. You are accountable for that burden. Do I get an amen? amen. When there's a burden on your heart, you are accountable for that burden. I was more afraid to not church plant than to church plant. Do you know that? I was afraid that I was going to miss out on what God had in store. Think about that. You should be more afraid of not getting involved here and being part of what God is doing than being involved and serving and loving and being present. That's what you should be more afraid of, not risking it. Because then you miss out on what God has. At your work, in your situations, in your conversations. When God sets you up with a lob ball to just share the hope that you profess and you don't swing and hit that thing away, you missed out out of fear rather than stepping out in faith and opening the door for God to do something even more. You know who my greatest mentor was? It wasn't a pastor. It was a businessman. 
who was vice president of train air conditioning company. And he shared his faith all the time. He didn't grow up in a Christian family. He and his wife became followers of Jesus in like their late 20s, early 30s. And God knew that at train, it was his gospel vehicle to be present to share the things that God had in store for him. Plant family, this is not it. Getting people into here to hear me preach, that's not the goal of the plant. The goal of Sunday mornings is to encourage you and challenge you so that you can go out and love people and people are coming to faith in Jesus. And your excitement and your willing to step out in faith will be their excitement and they're willing to step out in faith too. This is not about me. It's not about me. And if it ever becomes about me, I'm quitting. Amen? I'm going to quit before you fire me. Yeah, burn out, burn out, baby, burn out. Seriously, you are here because God has something for you this week. You are here because God has something for you this year. You are here because God is putting people in your lives that you get to share the hope that you profess. So the question you need to ask is, do I have hope that I can profess? That's the gospel conversation. It's not about David fighting Goliath. It's about, do you have the ability to step up and see what God wants to do? And the only enemy, faith-filled risk, is fear. I'm going to run through this real quick, quickly. Self-protection, the fear of others. Self-promotion, the fear of failure. And self-gratitude, the fear of loss. Those are the only things you fear. Others, things, and security. Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. Rather, authentic faith begins where human power ends. I was in the car for 18 hours this week. 18 hours. That's what I did. Monday, Princeton, there, back. Tuesday, Princeton, there, back. Thursday, drove out to Pittsburgh, and Friday, drove home. Why? Because I believe in what God is up to in the kingdom of God. I went out to Pittsburgh to train them in what we are doing here in the plant. Yes, 24 hours and 12 of them in the car. Why? Because I believe that God is on the move. Right? I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back. Like I was more afraid to not drive out than to drive out. What are you doing? That wasn't in my job description. I don't want to miss out. And I know that every time I step out in faith, you know what my kids want to do? I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like my daddy. I want to be like my daddy. Your children are a reflection of your faith. And even if they wander away, they will come back to the level of faith that you have shown. Amen. Right? Think about that. This is the history of Scripture. This is the history of our denomination. This is the history of our church. 2008, planted during a recession. That was wise. 
planting with a little group of 28 people. Everyone had their own agenda and half the team left. And yet God said, stick with it. It's happening. Not it will happen, it is happening. Today, God is inviting you to allow your DNA to be a DNA that's filled with faith-filled risk. I want faith to go through my blood. Why? It started at the cross, but it was completed at the grave. You see, I think sometimes we get stuck at the cross only. It started at the cross, but it was fulfilled at the grave. Because at the grave where he arose, we were given the Holy Spirit. That now greater is he who lives in me than he that lived in me before. You see, it's all about resurrection life. It's all about resurrection life. It's not about just my sins. My sins were dealt with, and now I run out of the tomb, out of my death, so that I can live the faith-filled life that God has called me to be. And you know what? I'm going down swinging. And I want to invite you to go down swinging. I want you, here's the only homework assignment that you have this week, and Ben, you can come up, and we're not going to play any like guitar riffs behind me to manipulate you, even though it sounds kind of cool, right? It does? Maybe Chris, you can give me a little bit of that. You have one homework assignment. The burden that God puts on your heart today, you step out and see it come to fruition. Amen? Amen. The burden, the Goliath, the Goliath that God puts on your heart today, or you step into, you see that burden to fruition. That is obedience. You see, the church talks about too much of the things we shouldn't be doing rather than the things we should be doing. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Really? God called me to go do this. Because when you do this, you don't worry about that stuff. You don't worry about that stuff. Learn to give God your yes. Learn to give Jesus your yes so that you can allow the Holy Spirit to live the yes in you and through you and by you. Because you know what? There are Goliaths that are getting slain this week and they're not happening through me. They're happening through us. Amen? Amen. And this is the kind of church we are. We're all in this together. We're a bunch of Davids, lying Goliaths. Holy Spirit, Empower us. Empower us. Slay the Goliaths. And all God's people said, Amen. great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.